Welcome to the Modern Lawyer Podcast. I'm your host, Anupadie. Thanks for joining me today. This is a podcast about rapid change in the legal industry. Today, we're joined by Alex Lakatos, a litigation partner at Mayor Brown in Washington, D.C. Alex is an example of a successful attorney at a thriving firm who's pushing himself to become an expert in the brand new area of artificial intelligence in financial services, lending, and credit. Alex organizes and speaks on AI and financial services symposia and events and discusses regulation of new AI technologies, AI bias and the liability flowing from it, and how attorneys will interact with and shape AI in the near future. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Alex, thanks so much for joining me on the Modern Lawyer Podcast. We're sitting here in your offices at Mayor Brown in Washington, D.C., Thank you for letting us come by, and I'd just love to, to have you start out by telling us about your backstory as a financial services litigator and a partner here at Mayor Brown. Yeah, my pleasure, and thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to this. I graduated from law school in San Francisco in 1995. I went to Hastings. After that, I clerked on the Ninth Circuit for a year for Judge Mary Schroeder, which was great. I was actually so academic and woolly-headed coming out of law school that the Ninth Circuit clerkship I found made me more practical, which really will tell you something, (laughs) I think. And from there, I went went to Wilmer. And the very first case that I took on was defending a number of Swiss banks who were involved in a class action in which they were accused of essentially aiding and abetting some misconduct by the Nazis in terms of maintaining accounts for Holocaust victims and then not turning the accounts over after the war, in terms of being alleged to have trafficked in gold on behalf of the Nazi regime, which which wasn't true. And that was the first thing I took on. And what that led to was sort of one after another, a series of cases where if it is an international cross-border mess, I have been involved in dealing with it. So a bank in South America that was the banker of choice for a South American dictator got sued with a $100 million RICO suit, and we got that one dismissed. A leading Swiss bank and a leading Swiss company that was involved in in, in making cement that were accused of aiding and abetting along with pretty much every multinational company, South African apartheid, because they didn't withdraw from the South African apartheid regime. They didn't divest. So pretty much if you can imagine, and then on the other side as well, where a different country's national bank was chasing after assets that a famous dictator stole from the country, and we were helping chase those. Lots of extremely heavy geopolitical issues kind of intertwined with the the private sector. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so that's been, been something that's gotten me on the road. It's been something that's been very interesting. And it's been something that's gotten me litigating at this sort of level where people are really paying attention to what's going on. And I have loved that, and that has been great. What changed, I think, was that I decided a few years ago that what I needed to to do was to also be involved in the future of the financial services industry. Um, And it's not that these big geopolitical things don't continue to happen, but that I wanted to be a little bit more about, you know, looking down the road. And a lot of these things were historical problems. uh, And I wanted to be a little bit more about being future oriented as well. And that really is what took me towards artificial intelligence. Amazing. Amazing. And, uh, you know, I want you to talk a, a bit more about that in more detail. But, you know, one of the things that you do is that you have a video series that you, you know, kind of release into the world where you talk about 
the future of financial services and the future of artificial intelligence. That's one reason you're here on this podcast because you are a litigator at a preeminent law firm. You've handled a lot of, I should say, more kind of traditional financial services, although certainly exotic in the ways that you described. <laughs> but I, I really want to dig into the future of financial services and what you're doing to make sure that you are looking to the future so that you know what is coming around the bend in 10, 15, 20 years. What are you seeing from your perspective as a partner here at Mayor Brown focused on financial services? Right. And there's a lot of new technologies, right? There's blockchain, there's artificial intelligence. It seems that artificial intelligence is the one, and I'm just using that term loosely, Yes, that is the one that is most likely to be transformative broadly to the industry in every possible way when we're talking about the financial services industry, really becoming utility, really becoming something that, that fits into every facet of it. And you, you mentioned, I'm especially interested in you referring to it as a utility, right? I mean, I've heard about the commodification of machine learning and commodification of AI. Is that what you're getting at here? Are, are you suggesting that in the future, financial services companies are going to view AI as table stakes, right? You know, buildings have electricity, financial services companies use AI. Yeah, absolutely. There are certain things that financial institutions are going to need to do to be modern financial institutions. And for them, I think it is potentially an existential threat to them as to whether they become modern. Now, modern is going to have a lot of pieces to it, but we all know that, you know, there are fintechs coming onto the scene and they are coming up with new ideas. They are increasingly, of course, partnering with traditional financial institutions. There are tech companies that are increasingly interested in getting involved in the financial institution space. And so, and, and consumers, as a result of this, are increasingly demanding solutions that are intuitive, that are elegant, that are frictionless. And AI is, is going to be essential to delivering those. Let me ask you this, Alex, because I think a fair number of our listeners, and our listeners kind of, I'd say, lean, AMLOT 200 kind of heavy, you know, I bet some of them at this point may be asking the question, well, wait a second. Alex, you are a success story, right? You're you're brilliant. You're a you know, former Ninth Circuit <laughs> clerk. You've got a, a booming practice that very few people could kind of emulate, right? Why not put your head down and just say, hard stop, I'm that guy who kind of disentangles complex cross-border problems. The future, you know, forget the future. My present is great. And likely the next, whatever, 20 years of your career, you're going to have a lot of geopolitical messes to, to disentangle. Why look, why kind of step out of your lane and say, no, you know what? I care about AI in financial transactions. I care about tech. I'm not just going to be content sticking to what I've done for a number of years. Joy, really. I mean, it's just intellectual curiosity. It's fun. It's great to be able to talk to clients. I mean, we have had at Mayor Brown, we had a Mayor Brown AI and Financial Services Symposium. We had great uptake at very high levels of many financial services clients and others. So there's a tremendous amount of interest. And I have spoken with clients about this. And they're always interesting conversations. And they never repeat. Everyone comes at it from a different perspective. They're at a different place in their thinking. So it, it continues to be tremendously interesting. It's a personal, you know, nice to get back to technology. I studied some physics in college. I studied it through quantum mechanics when I realized I didn't understand it anymore. I became, after that, went, went into English and, and law. I discovered that, that kind of dumb for a physicist was kind of smart for a lawyer. And, <laughs> and you know, and, and move forward from there. But it's kind of fun to come back to tech. 
I'm curious as to what, because I mean, I, it kind of perked up when you, when you talked about that symposium, right? Because presumably Mayor Brown is creating symposia that are interesting to clients, right? You don't want to have a symposium that no one attends, right? And so clearly clients are attending this, if not demanding this. What do you talk about and what does Mayor Brown advance as far as thought leadership, if you want to use that kind of hackneyed term? So in the context of making loans to consumers, which is what I was just talking about, you have a couple of, of fundamental risks. And one of the most fundamental is the concern that you're going to be biased against people in a way that violates the law that says you cannot be biased against certain protected classes, and the more broad law that says you simply can't engage in sort of unfair trade practices. Um, and I'll give you an example that I thought was kind of interesting. A lot of data scientists will tell you that the closer I, Alex Lakatos, live to a house of worship, regardless of whether I attend, um, and regardless of whether I am Muslim or whether the house of worship is Muslim or whether I'm Christian and the house of worship is Christian, the closer I physically live to it, the better credit risk I am. There's a couple of interesting questions there. One, can I use that? And two, even if I can, should I? How's that going to look You know, if, if, it, if it's covered in the newspapers? And so there's a lot of questions there you, you, you need to think about. And the government has put forward, and it's, it's been on the books for years, a set of rules around what is considered improper discrimination, what is not. And to some extent, the CFPB seems like it is maybe taking a step back on the, how broad it views that. Perhaps the New York regulators are taking a step forward in the regulatory two-step as the CFPB steps back. But no one has really totally clarified how that applies in the AI context. We really have to take the rules as they apply pre-AI and just sort of make sure they fit as best we can make them fit. Right. And, and no, no regulator, nor would a consumer, find it acceptable for a bank simply to say, sorry, we didn't do it. It was the AI. That's exactly right. And that actually brings me to a second problem, which is in addition to not discriminating, there are laws that basically say consumers have a right to get a basic explanation of why you've turned them down. And I'm sorry, my black box hates you is not an answer. Right. And, you know, and we're talking about these alternative data. Some of these people are looking at your Facebook friends and what your social media actions are. And even if you could say, you know, the reason we, we turned you down is because your Facebook friends are horrible. Do you want to say that? Because I think people are going to come back and they're going to say, well, gee, all my Facebook friends look like me and we're all a member of a, of a particular group. And, and that, you know, that doesn't seem so good. And maybe it isn't so good. Maybe it's unlawful or maybe it is, maybe you've, you've done it in a way that's lawful, but it still looks, looks terrible. So it's a combination of being able to explain it and then being able to be comfortable with the explanation. You're, I'm, I'm sure, in the planning stages of uh, another AI symposium. You know, before we started recording, we talked about another event that Mayor Brown is doing. What is the future of the subject matter in the events that are kind of coming down the pike? What is hottest among your clients as far as what they're most concerned with going forward? Right. So I think one thing that's going to be tremendously important to them is what the regulators are saying. And that's one of the things we did at the last symposium that we will probably reprise for this one is we will have a fireside chat. I, I hosted a fireside chat with some leading regulators to sort of get their take on these issues, because at the end of the day, there is amongst the opinion that matters the most. So I think certainly that's always of interest. And the, the extent of candor the regulators can give is going to vary between regulators and, and between topics. But I think that's something of tremendous interest. We will do a deep dive on these questions that I was just discussing with you, which is the questions of bias and how you avoid unlawful bias and how you deal with that. As I mentioned, we'll do a deep dive on this question of how you do explainability by design. 
we will do uh, some depth on how to contract. That's increasingly important to uh, get AI from outsourced vendors. There are IP issues around this. People are maybe, for example, collaborating with outside people, be they academics, be they startups, be they fintechs. And so there are issues there around that. So those are all, all topics, I think, that are that are very much front of mind. I mean, this is an area where there is so much uncertainty and so many directions where it's important to grow that I, I cannot say with a straight face that there's any one thing that is the burning question. Got it. I want to shift the discussion now to something that you've written about. And it is, I think, what you've referred to, or many have certainly referred to, as the AI arms race with China and its impact on consumer finance and financial services. What is this arms race as you see it? And let's uh, go into who you think is winning as well and, and, and what you think the implications of that are on, on a kind of global level. Right. So as, as a general matter, China is, as best I can tell, more committed to spending money on developing AI as a government. Um, and China has perhaps, and, and, and you know these things are debatable, but China has certain potential advantages in how it develops AI and financial services, which is that they don't have the same notions of privacy we do, so that they can, they can do a lot of things in terms of social engineering and, and looking at people's creditworthiness that we really can't do here. On the other hand, that is also in some ways a tremendous disadvantage, right? Because if you look at Western markets, and those are very important markets to be in, European markets, US markets, North American markets, those are markets where consumers care about privacy, where governments care about privacy. And so some of the Chinese ideas you know, aren't necessarily going to play as well, and that, that can turn out to be a disadvantage. At the end of the day, I think it remains to be seen what's going to go on. But I will tell you that you know, an, an important factor in this, of course, is, is immigration laws and, and friendliness, right? Because top scientists can work in many, many countries, and some of them are being lured to China with very lucrative and, and very free engagements that give them a lot of leeway to research in the way that they want to research. But there's also a lot going on in Canada. There's a lot going on in Europe. There's a lot going on in the US. So it's a competition for talent as well. And that's something you know that I think America needs to think hard about when we look at our immigration laws. What do you think the rift is among you know, the, the traditional industries in financial services and fintechs? I mean, do you see the, the fintech kind of startups, younger companies leading the way? Or is it your view that a lot of the more established companies are kind of bringing on top AI talent and really trying to restructure their offerings based on this? How plugged in are they on this? So I think you see all of the above. You certainly see fintechs that are, that are doing some bold, new and interesting things. And often they are going through some growing pains as they try to figure out the regulatory environment. They're, they're tech thinkers and they're tech actors and the, the, the breadth and the complexity of the regulation can sometimes be a growing pain for them. You are seeing traditional companies that are, some of them are, are giving enormous spend to either partnering with fintechs or developing their own. And some of them have really brilliant in-house people who are doing AI thinking and it's tremendously impressive. You know, at this point there's there is a war for talent and people are really working to get the right people uh, and there's not enough to go around. And so that's that's something else we're seeing. I want to shift now to kind of the, the future of, of the legal industry. Do you think that folks who just kind of bury their head in the sand and, and you know, I know that's kind of a harsh framing of it, but bury their head in the sand and 
really just focus on being the kind of traditional litigator, you know, not all that interested in new changes and new, you know, technological revolutions are going to be left behind by this industry. What's your take on that? I think at some point they will be. I mean, there will probably always be certain things that will be done in the traditional way. And it kind of depends on where you are and where you're trying to position yourself. But if where you're trying to position yourself is at, at the forefront, where, where I think the work is most interesting, and potentially where clients are less sensitive to, it's less commoditized, let's say, because there's only so many people who can do it, then yeah, I think that's the place that, that you wanna be. But, but there's a cycle, right? At some point, even some of the AI work, which right now is very cutting edge, becomes commoditized and then there may be new AI work or the next technology and that's just how the cycle moves. You mentioned that you, you have a, a science background, you studied physics. How soon do you think a firm like Mayor Brown, top flight, prominent law firm, brings on a PhD AI expert or a PhD mathematician to work alongside you and your partners to kind of advise you and help out with respect to a lot of these kind of heady issues that you as an attorney and your partners as attorneys may not fully be able to kind of get your arms around. So the tradition may stay the same, which is we hire expert witnesses as we need them. Right. We consult with the in-house subject matter experts at the client to bring us up to speed. That has worked fairly well. I don't know that that will need to change, but you know, the future is notoriously hard to predict and no one's ever impressed when I predict the past. So <laughs> you know, could be wrong there. Can you give us a couple examples of some fintech companies that are using AI to do some interesting things, to solve problems that we've been kind of saddled with without the benefit of these kind of new and, and interesting technologies? So I think one of the interesting things that fintechs are doing, and I talk about this as an example because maybe we haven't talked about it so much already, is working on solutions for anti-money laundering compliance and transaction monitoring and being able to look at transactions in a much more sophisticated way to spot anomalies, maybe even anomalies that we didn't know were anomalies. And I think that becomes a very, very interesting thing. And if you look at, so you know the U.S. has, has sanctions laws and we can't do business, say, in most circumstances with Cuba, in most circumstances with Iran, never with listed people who are on the bad guys list like the Osama bin Ladens of the world. Right. And at one point, you go far enough back and the way that got filtered maybe was even by humans. I don't know. That's before my time. But you go, further, you, you go a little further from there and then you'd have computers doing the screening and it was by exact names, Osama bin Laden. And then... Maybe a little bit after that, they, they began to do fuzzy logic. So because there's a lot of transliterations and alternate spellings, you may have encountered some of this personally in your life. Absolutely. Yes. And then at some point, the government began to say, well, fuzzy logic isn't just a good idea. We expect it of you. And now where you have AI that is getting more sophisticated, people are sort of getting to the point of saying, okay, can we adopt this? When can we do this instead of humans? How comfortable will the regulators be with us not using humans and using more of the artificial intelligence? But it seems such a clear line that before too long, it's going to be, you must do this. This is, this is the cutting edge thing. And so you do have fintechs that are doing that. And the other, to me, very interesting piece of this is regulators also have to look at what it is that people are doing in the marketplace. And the SEC, for example, has been doing some very interesting things where they themselves 
use artificial intelligence to look at transactions to say, hey, does this transaction look like insider trading? Does this look like a wash sale? Does this look problematic? And I think more and more you will see fintechs going and making a pitch to the regulators, let us provide machine learning to help you do your job better. I can't end this podcast without a thought that I'm sure a lot of our listeners would have, which is this has the potential to get really creepy really fast, right? And, and you're nodding, you said yes. What are some ways uh, in which consumers, regulators, and even you know the kind of titans of industry need to stay vigilant so that this doesn't take a kind of a dark turn? You know, it's interesting. I remember reading a while back, and you may have read this as well, that predictive analytics had gotten so good that they were figuring out that some women had become pregnant based on their buying before they had actually announced to their friends and family, and then sent them in the mail a slew of pregnancy-related right. and baby-related stuff, and that quite reasonably, you know, was very upsetting. And, and what the industry did in response was it began to just not let on that it knew, and it would sort of intersperse the baby stuff with other ads so it would look accidental. Right, right. It is a situation where these machines may know more about you and your interests than, than your friends or perhaps even, even yourself. And that can be a little creepy. And also just the, the volume of data that they're holding on to can be a little, a little disturbing. I think trying to, to isolate one thing that's the problem isn't the way to go. I think the way to go is to have a general ethics code and, and then to have people who are charged with it and I often recommend to clients that they think about having an advisory board and they think about bringing in people who they previously maybe have thought of as not sympathetic to them because those people really can be your best friend. I mean, look, some, some people are just very anti-industry and, and it's hard to have a conversation. But there are people who actually want to meet with industry, be critical of them, but constructively so. So they're going to say, and, and they're going to be your canary in the coal mine. They're going to say, gee... This may just not play well with people. It doesn't play well with me. What can we do to fix this? Having those humans to police the machines and having a process in place for that, at least until we can get a machine that is smart enough to say, I'm looking out for, I'm programmed to look out for the next creepy thing. Right. Having people there to do it is the way to go. You've got a thriving practice here at, at Mayor Brown, yet you still you know, release videos. You write a lot. You speak a lot. At what point did you determine that you were going to use technology, these video, video blogs, LinkedIn, social media, to create a voice for yourself and to create a brand and an image for yourself that you were going to project out into the world? Why was that your approach to kind of marketing the firm and marketing you? That's an excellent question. It was within the last few years as I began to simply think about this idea that I have a brand where people know me for the work that I've been doing, but now I want to do something new. And my belief is you leverage everything you possibly can. So you write, you speak, you do LinkedIn videos, you do podcasts, because you don't know which channel is going to be the one. And maybe there isn't one. Maybe you just want to be top of mind by being in as many channels as you have time to do. So that was sort of the thinking behind it. That right there, I think, is some great wisdom that a lot of our listeners would very much appreciate. What advice can you give a person who's just graduating from law school now, who's listening to this and says, well, Alex is a really smart guy. He's a partner that seems very distant and far away from where I am. I'm just new in this, in this kind of legal world. What would you tell them to do? I mean, I think what you said about marketing is, is fantastic, right? This multi-channel approach 
get your words out there, you know, specialize in something and talk about it. But aside from that, what else would you tell a young, you know, 25 year old uh, first year? Create a network from your desk. People are awesome. They are so happy to speak with you. Not everyone, but you don't need everyone. There's millions of people in the space. Reach out to them by email, reach out to them by LinkedIn. Say, hey, I'm new to this space. I'm just trying to learn about it. Can we chat? What you? Do? I read your article on X, it was really interesting. And through that, you will start to become educated. You will start to know people. Just take 20 minutes of their time, no more than that. Keep disciplined about it. At the end of the call, you can always ask them just a simple question. Anyone else I should talk to? A lot of them will say, oh yeah, you know what? This was great. They'll see you're not selling anything. They'll refer you to their friend Bob or their friend Nancy. And all of a sudden, things will start to happen. Someone will say, you know what? This was because 15 conversations, 20 conversations, 30 conversations down the line, you're going to know something from 29 people who are experts you've talked to. You're going to sound pretty smart. People are going to start to say things to you like, oh, hey, I've got a conference. Maybe you'd like to speak. Or, hey, I've got a problem. Maybe you'd like to solve. Have those conversations. It's not hard. It's just the effort of doing it from your desk. I love that because I find so many, you know, kind of young attorneys or or law students are afraid that if they write to someone, they write to a partner, they write to a senior person, that the person's going to be annoyed or irritated. I've found the opposite to be true. People are flattered to be reached out to. And as long as you take the time to learn who they are and read about them, have some basis of knowledge, they would love to take you out for a coffee and talk about their industry. Yeah, or even again, just 20 minutes on the phone if they're not in the same city as you. I think that's absolutely right. And look, the people who aren't interested, all they do is they delete your email. It right. takes them less than a second. They aren't offended. They don't even remember. It's one of a thousand emails they deleted that day. And it's a numbers game, right? You're going to reach out to some people who are delighted and that's all that matters. So Alex, I want to wrap up with one last question, but it's kind of a big question. And that is, as I think a lot of our listeners are here, not specialists in financial services litigation. They don't necessarily know all the changes and and kind of big issues like AI ethics and things like that in financial services. If you had to leave them with three big kind of takeaways, three big points from our conversation today, from your kind of perch as a, as a partner who's kind of looking at this big landscape in front of you, what would those be? These are for people in the industry or for or for young lawyers? These are for, for both. I mean, for all of our listeners, none of which, let's just assume they're not specialists in financial services. Sure. So I think the first thing I would say is in terms of, you know, an individual positioning himself or herself for just being relevant in the future, start big. Look for what the biggest macro change that you see that you're interested in, be that climate change be that a changing workforce, whatever you see as a big macro change that people are going to genuinely care about, and you too care about. Don't try to go into something that you, you don't care about because you'll find you run out of energy in a hurry if you don't care about it yourself. And then start thinking about you know watching it and figuring out where you can be relevant within that space. But the big important trend will take you forward. AI is, in my view, and I could be proven wrong, and it wouldn't be the first time and won't be the last, one such very big trend. And then I've tried to focus on that within financial services. And then I've tried to focus within financial services, within some litigation topics we talked about, some ethics topics we talked about, some bias topics we talked about. Um, so that's that's the first thing that I would say. Um, then um, in terms of AI, I think 
we are really in the world of unknown unknowns. And you will hear people predicting doom and gloom and that we are the boot generation for AI taking over for everything. You will hear people saying AI actually is going to be great for humans. What comes to mind when you talk about that is spreadsheets. And here's what I mean by that. In, I don't know, what, 25, 30 years ago when spreadsheets, electronic spreadsheets, like, you know, now Excel became common, the accountants associations, the trade groups, you know, tried to block it because they were all terrified that they were going to put accountants out of business. What happened? There's never been more accountants since spreadsheets, right? Because back then you had to be a reasonably sized business to have an accountant. Where now there's food trucks down the street that have their own accountants because now an accountant who might've been able to service maybe 80 accounts can service 8,000 accounts because of spreadsheets. I think maybe the same thing could happen in law. I mean, that's just a, uh, you know, certainly with AI kind of opens it up to all kinds of these unintended consequences. I agree. As to the first one, I love the big think issues. Why do you suggest that folks should, should try to tackle these big massive issues and not find some like tiny niche and drill down and specialize in that? Well, I'm actually suggesting both. They yeah. should they should find the niche and specialize, but to pick that niche, Got it. they should make sure that it relates to a big issue that's going to keep that niche relevant and interesting. And that also, you know, if that niche turns out not to be the right thing, you can still say, well, look, I decided to specialize in AI as applied to this particular issue. And it turns out this particular issue isn't an issue for whatever reason. But I now know all the stuff about AI and that's still moving forward. So I can easily, I can easily pivot. I don't have to make a whole new brand. I don't have to make a whole new set of education or that niche keeps being pushed forward because things keep happening with AI. And it seems like in this moment in the world, there's so many big issues, right? I mean, this podcast is about rapid change in the legal industry. In this podcast, we've kind of homed in on one kind of vertical in that, namely financial services and lending and the ethics of all of that. But there are so many across, as you've mentioned, environmental and there's labor. I mean, you mentioned uh, the changing workforce. I'm intrigued by that suggestion. What is your third kind of big idea here that we should all take away? Don't be afraid of your own instincts when it comes to AI. And what I mean by that is there are two steps to accomplishing anything. You must have the vision and you must realize the vision. Yes. Okay. It's a little funny, but it's, I, I have noticed that there's a lot of people who have visions and never execute. And there's a lot of people who can execute, but they never think of visions. And that's fine if you find the right partner and you can make that work. But, but, but those two steps really do mean something. And if you find yourself thinking, I am annoyed because X can't be done, but it seems like the machine learning can do it. Don't think to yourself, oh, well, someone else would have done it, or that's a stupid instinct. Take a few moments and think about, well, okay, if someone, if someone else does this, you know, as a lawyer, how might it be relevant to me? This might be something that's coming. Maybe it's something I can position myself for. Or if I'm on the tech side or the, or the business side, if this idea has occurred to me, you know, don't, don't cast it aside. Don't, don't think that someone else is going to have had your vision because there are so many novel and interesting ways that AI can be used and we're just beginning to figure them out. So, so don't be afraid of your own vision. I can't think of a better place to wrap up this, this podcast with that statement. Alex, thank you for hosting us here at Mayor Brown in very hot Washington, D.C. I really appreciate it. This has been a fantastic discussion. You are an attorney. You are a partner here at Mayor Brown who's really on the cutting edges of a particular practice area. And I think our listeners will find this discussion 
fascinating. So a big thank you from the Case Text team and from me for joining us on the Modern Warrior Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Modern Lawyer Podcast. We always love hearing from you and we highly value your feedback. Reach out to me at onin at casetext.com. Tweet at us with the hashtag Modern Lawyer and check us out at modernlawyerpodcast.com. We hope you join us for our next episode. Special thanks to the Case Text team, especially our producer extraordinaire, Abby Hadidian. See you soon.